Welcome back, or hello if this is your first time to Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Johnny Foster. This week we continue our journey into spooky history with author Coldy Polston. Do the names Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, Johnny Ringo, Curly Bill, or the OK Corral Ring-A-Bell? Fans of the Old West know that those names all have one thing in common, Tombstone, Arizona. Cody Paulson has written three books with us, and his latest book is Haunted Tombstone. Cody is also the author of Wicked Albuquerque and Ghosts of Old Town Albuquerque. Cody is the founder and former president of the Southwest Ghost Hunters Association. He has appeared on numerous radio and television shows such as Biography Channel's Dead Famous, Travel Channel's Weird Travels, A&E's Extreme Paranormal, and the Ghost Prophecies. Cody is also the host and producer of the popular podcast, Ecto Radio, and the writer for Ghost Hunter X magazine. We did have a little bit of a technical difficulty at the beginning of uh, this episode. So we're going to jump into the second question where I'd ask Cody about how difficult it could be to investigate in Tombstone. And his answer is uh, pretty surprising. And then there's a story in the book where I talk about that, where I actually, I had an experience in the birdcage where at the time I thought it was just one of their uh, employees that walked by and um, found out later there was no employee there. Is that the so stage like, story okay. where you were on the stage taking pictures? Yeah, the stage story, yeah. So that one was kind of, kind of, uh, okay, uh, what was that, you know? Um, but at the same time, you know, there's so many, so many stories from Tombstone. I know, I know the book, I can only put so many in the book. But uh, I think on the Big Nose Kate's, I don't know if I talked about the first paranormal experience uh, that I had. It was uh, late at night, and I was having a, a little investigation there the first time I ever went out there. And I was talking to the bartender after they'd closed, and I was like, you know, trying to get him to, you know, this is real. I mean, does really have weird stuff happening, thinking he might level with me, you know? Because I was suspicious it was a tourism thing that they were pulling to bring in business. And he's like, no, we have all this stuff happening. Well, while we're talking... Down at the end of the bar, there was a glass that started moving. And it, the way it looked, it looked like someone was spinning it. And it made a noise. And since it did that, I was looking right at it when it levitated up off the bar about a foot. It hung in the air for a couple of seconds, and then it chucked across the room. And I, I'm looking right at it. And so the stranger element was the bartender's reaction, which was pulling out a slip of paper, and he's putting a mark. And I'm like, what is well, what are you doing? He's like, I got to keep track of how many they break. <laughs> so, it's like, this happens all the time. Says, yeah, we have stuff like this happen all the time. I mean, can you write that and off that's your taxes? Kind of where you know? it started. Yeah, I guess you know, or yeah, I guess you got to you know keep how many you need X amount for Friday night. I guess I don't know, but he he had a whole bunch of tick marks on there. But for him, it was a normal thing, you know, because he's seen it so many times. He's like, yeah, they don't mess with you. You know, so they, I leave them alone, they leave me alone. So it was very nonchalant. But that's kind of where I, that was my first ghost time. 35 years ago was in Tombstone. And that's what got me into it, was that one event. Well, yeah, I mean, what a place to start from. Yeah. You know, the book. For they sure. You know, they mentioned the Birdcage Theater, and one thing that I found really interesting about the Birdcage Theater was the white herb mannequin. And yeah. he would, you know, get pushed over and things of that nature. And it turns out it was because he was in one of the boxes um, or bird cages 
that the Clantons would have had, which, of course, anybody who knows anything about you know the history of Tombstone, even if you've only seen the movies, uh, the Clantons and the Earps were enemies. They were the leader of the Cowboys. Um, so it was weird that you know the, even if there were spirits of the Clantons or the Cowboy gang there, they still had it out for even a mannequin representation of Wyatt Earp. Right. You know, and that's a, that was a cool story because I was told that by Billy. He's the uh, he was the owner's son. He's now the manager there, but uh, that's one from his childhood, and he remembers that happening and the, you know, the pain of having well, we got to get the hat, and where those bird cages are behind it, um, it's very delicate. You're not allowed to walk back there. They're sealed off because it's it's old. That's the you know over a hundred years, and so they, uh, you know, it's like oh, we got to go back there and creep back in there and hope you don't fall through the floor to put the hat back on the mannequin. But um, you were talking about the movie, something about the birdcage, which is kind of fascinating if you go to the, the movie that I didn't put in the book, is it does show the Earps at the theater. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well, the birdcage wasn't built. Well, actually, it was built. It was under construction during the gunfight at the OK Corral. So that's where the movie's wrong. The birdcage wasn't built yet. Um, but it was fully up and running by the time that Morgan... Um, Wyatt's little brother was shot in the saloon. So, uh, so it is true they were there. Yeah. So, and in case anybody's uh, wondering what we're talking about in the movie, that's the scene where it's it makes it seem like it's the same day the Earps first get into town, and that's where Wyatt's Wyatt Kurt Russell's character first sees Josephine on stage in right. the Faust play. Well, and understand in Hollywood you have to tell a story in an hour and a half or however long the movie is. Um, another, another misconception is the vendetta ride. They make it look like it's not till after, you know, the, they're evacuating the family out on the train in Tucson. That's when they form and they go on the vendetta ride. Uh, the fact is the, his little posse that he put together that would eventually become the, the guys that ran out and, you know, started killing cowboys that formed right after Virgil was shot. So it was already up and in place long before even Morgan's murder. Did Morgan the ever murder take place? Morgan, Excuse me? I'm sorry. Did Morgan ever go on the rides with White then? Uh, from what I saw, no. Initially, these guys' role is they were protecting the Earps. Um, so there's a big trial that happens right after the OK Corral. Um, they're actually put up in the Cosmopolitan Hotel. And so initially, these guys are like bodyguards. So they're protecting the Earps and their families. Um, by the time that Morgan is shot, uh, things had just degenerated so badly uh, between the two, uh, two factions at that point. And it's really interesting because if you look in the papers, there were two papers in Tombstone. There was the uh, Tombstone Epitaph, which was the Republican paper. And then you had the Daily Nugget, which was the Democratic paper. And it's interesting to read them side by side for each day because you can see where it's political. You know, the Earps were Republicans, the Cowboys are Democrats. So it was, there was this political twist that was also kind of responsible for them, the, the feud developing between the two groups. Huh. Right, I'm learning a lot about the Tombstone history I didn't know tonight. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's great to do. Oh, too. yeah. So, but- well, um, something else that's kind of cool, um, I was reading about uh, when I was doing research for the book, and uh, – there's an author, and I'm forgetting his name. He actually works at the OK Corral today as a reenactor. 
he wrote this huge piece of work on white herb. So there's an alternative story, and the alternative story was Wyatt was running for sheriff, and actually uh, there was a stagecoach robbery, and Wyatt knew if he could bring those men in, it guaranteed he was going to win the election. And since the sheriff got part of the taxes that were collected, it's it's a very um, profitable position to be in. So he asked for Ike Clanton's help in finding out who these people were. And he said, look, you help me find them. I'll catch them. You get the reward. I just want credit for catching them. And uh, it turned out the stagecoach that, that was robbed, the men that did it were found dead several days later. So nothing ever became of that. But I became increasingly paranoid because Wyatt now had information on him that he was a snitch. So and that's another story of how that developed from, you know, why, uh, from Ike's, you know, being all nervous. Oh, he's going to rat me out to the Cowboys. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it seems like Ike, when he drank, he got a little bit of liquid courage. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. But I tell you, Cody, the book has so many eyewitness stories and, uh, even a couple of newspaper stories regarding hunts, uh, at, uh, Bronco cabin. Is that how you say that? Yes. And I've heard and read a lot of ghost stories, but Tombstone seems to be a place where if you are open to seeing a ghost, um, you stand a better chance than most places. Uh, do you agree it is because of the violent history, or is there something about where Tombstone is geographically? You know, they say depending on where a place is, it might, and you know, what elements might be around, or ores might be around, it opens itself up to hauntings. You know, I, I think it's a little bit of everything, plus... It's a small little town in southern Arizona. Now, if you're there during Hell Dorado or their big event, it's noisy. When those big events aren't happening, like if you go in the summer uh, when it's hot, it, that town, there's nothing going on, and it's quiet. And, you know, you get past, you know, 9 o'clock, even the saloon shut down, and you just walk the streets, and it's you don't have that kind of stillness. And I think because of that, people notice things more than if it was a busy metropolis, you know. So... That, you know, and, and again, there's just, there was so much violence, and especially, you know, border town like that and having silver and everything else. So I'm sure it contributed uh, in all factions there as far as that goes. Yeah. And, you know, one of the more famous cemeteries people know of is Boot Hill Cemetery. I mean, think about how many graveyards people know by name in the country, but people know Boot right. Hill. Uh, and the cemetery has been known for, uh, I know as a famous ghost photo where there is somebody who is dressed up as a cowboy, but behind them, behind a headstone, it appears to be a, a ghost. You know, I don't know if that's faked or not, um, but it's the resting place of some of the cowboy members from the OK Corral shootout. Um, how many bodies, though, do you think were laid to rest there? I know some of them, you know, would be moved as the town expanded. Yeah, it, it's really hard to tell because I don't think they even know. One of the controversial elements the book put out is that I tell people that, you know, the graveyard's bigger than what you see. Um, the highway you drive in on coming into Tombstone from the north cuts right through the old cemetery. And that graves were discovered when they were building that road. But if you go across the road, there are other graves there. And they're out there in the middle of nowhere. No fence around them or anything. And, uh, you know, it is kind of, kind of creepy. Um, you know, you got, I've talked about the different cemeteries that were there. I talked to a lot of people, 
that had really weird stuff going on in their houses. There's a 7-Eleven down at the bottom of the hill from Boot Hill. That was where the, the second graveyard was. And that place was, you know, anybody in the area, they claim to see people walking around at night and, you know, they don't know who they are. And again, it's a small town, so they know each other. So it's like, yeah, there's some, some lady in a white dress walking down the street and, you know, like, oh, well. And then when you found out, oh, that was a cemetery. Well, did they move the bodies? Well, the ones, the houses, you know, they found when they were putting in water pipes or whatever for the housing. I'm sure there's some people under there too. So fascinating though. Yeah, just the way that in such a short amount of time, the way the town's population exploded because it was, a you know, a mining boom town. Um, and we know how hard life was, you know, back then and how dangerous it could be, you know, just everyday life in the West. And then also, you know, the different factions in town, you know, who knows, like you said, how many bodies could possibly be buried there. And I'm sure they're going to discover more uh, when work yeah. needs to be done in town. So let's. Yeah, you know, and that. You never know. I mean, because, I mean, there's so much of the town that was lost. Uh, once it lost the county seat, it kind of fell into decline. But um, you never know. I mean, there's always talk of trying to, uh, you know, reroute the highway around Tombstone so the big thoroughfare isn't going to go through the town. You would go around it. And I've heard a lot of talk about trying to reconstruct some of the older buildings that used to be there that have been lost to create the historical feel of uh, some of the streets. But, um yeah, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, do you think that there – I'm sorry, I'm blanking on where it was, but um, I can't remember if it was a story with a guy who, you know, was shunned by the woman he wanted to marry and took his own life or not, but the jawbone found in the basement could – Yeah, the Buford house. Yeah, yeah. Could that have been part of the cemetery too? Is that a possibility for how the jawbone got there? Uh, it, it's close. But again, it's there's so much we don't know how large that cemetery was. There's really not a map of it. It's just old timers going, yeah, there used to be a cemetery there, and there was a fence around it and a couple of graves. But they don't know exactly how big it was. But the Buford House is not far. But um, you never knew. I mean, especially in the early days when the Apaches were still around, it was common to bury people, you know, in the basement or in the backyard. Uh, they didn't always go out and take them to the cemetery. So who knows? But that was weird. I mean, because we thought we had that one, you know, explained. We looked at the thing, oh, this is the wrong house, you know, and then, oh, hey, we found a human jawbone in the basement. <laughs> and you go yeah. down there and um, it, it's just like they carved the base. They just dug it out, put some two by fours up and put some boards up, you know, kind of keep the dirt from coming in. So a very primitive looking basement. And, uh, yeah, when they were digging out the walls, they found a human jawbone. So and they kept it's it. about six feet. Yeah, and they kept it. They, left, they kind of left it where they found it. Uh, it was just kind of stuck down there um, behind the board that was bracing against the dirt wall. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy because I had media with me. I had uh, people from a radio station. So, you know, so we're on air, you know, and kind of to pull that out, you know, like, oh, okay then. Well, maybe there is something here. You, know, you got a body down under there. <laughs> yeah. Missing his mouth, part of his mouth. <laughs> but yeah. Do they keep digging Freaky to look stuff. for more or do they just kind of leave it be? I, I think they, they let it be. Yeah. That's what um, I do. <laughs> well, not only from the superstition reasons, but I mean, and that's where it surprised me if they bring it up because you get, you know, archaeologists that are 
well, hey, leave that alone. That's a historical site. Leave it alone. You know, they want to examine stuff. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want you digging in it, you know. But, uh, yeah, the fact that they would even talk about it, especially on air like that, was kind of, yeah, okay, well, yeah, guess we're just going to leave it alone and do what we do. Yeah, it's a... But the story's coming out of that place with it. They have the ultimate me story of guess what I found in my house. That yeah. <laughs> nobody's going <laughs> to top that. Yeah. No so, kidding. So let's talk about some of the names people may know a bit. Uh, the Earps, Holidays, Clantons, Johnny Ringo, the Lowry's, and some some of the places, the OK Corral and the Red Buffalo Trading Company, which is on the site where Morgan died. Uh Right. Could you tell me if these places or any other places where one could possibly encounter the Earps or the Holidays or any of the Cowboys? Um, so understand the town has been through two fires. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're looking for original structures, the Birdcage is original and the basement of Big Nose Cape, which was originally the Grand Hotel. Everything else has been rebuilt over the years. So when they're talking about you know, Red Buffalo Trading Company, um, they're looking at older maps and going, okay, that's where that saloon was. The pool table where he was shot was in the back, and that would be about right here. And that's how they're they're kind of guesstimating that. Um, we were talking about you were talking about the uh, the famous ghost photograph taken in Boot Hill. So right next to the Red Buffalo Trading Company, Ike Clanton, and this is the descendant of the actual Ike Clanton involved in the OK Corral gunfight. Mm-hmm has a little haunted attraction. It has dummies and you kind of walk through and it gives you tombstones past and all this. Well, as you're exiting the building, he has that photograph on display and that's actually him in the photograph. And I know a lot of people have made a big thing about that because, Hey, it's Ike Clinton's descendant. And then there's a ghost that shows up in the photograph, supposedly. Um, So, so that's where that is. Um, as far as some of the other interesting historical places, um, you go back into the early 1900s, the old bank, which is now the tourist center. So that was originally the bank. And then, um, so there was a lot of uh, violence that happened there. But the most famous is uh, over by the Crystal Palace. And so that, that little corner there is, you know, the bloodiest spot in the U.S. West. I mean, so many people were killed there. That's where Virgil Earp was also shot uh, during, right after the OK Corral. So, um it's, yeah, you know, it's one of the things if you go in and you have that knowledge of history when you're going into Tombstone. So if you plan to visit, definitely read up on it. And then when you're there, you know, pause and think about, oh, this is where that happened and, and that kind of stuff. And you see how, how big the town was. And it it's only like three blocks long back then. It wasn't that big, you know. And it's like, oh, I got all these volatile characters locked into this tiny little space, you know. And there's so many things like I, I had no uh, room in the book at all for um, another famous marshal that came after the Earth, Texas John Slaughter. And he was actually more responsible for bringing men to justice and kind of establishing the law in the area. But um, a friend of mine actually owns his old house and she purchased it and turned part of it into a B&B. And they have weird stuff happening in that house, too. Uh, things moving around and weird noises and uh, Mel calling her name out at night and it's not her husband. So, like, be careful, they're going to get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane what, how, how much is there. Yeah, I didn't realize it was um, three blocks, but so a town, uh, an area that's three blocks warranted the president of the United States, President Arthur, Arthur to do something 
about the violence there. That right. gives you an idea of how and violent it, it was. Well, and the other big element was the cowboys and what they were doing. So they were using kind of the tombstone area as their base, and they would ride into Mexico and steal horses and cattle and bring them back into the United States. Well, of course, that was making the Mexican government very angry. And so they started to dispatch, you know, forces of their army up to guard the border, which made the United States really uneasy. And so, yeah, it had to be taken care of one way or another before you know, we don't need another war, you know. No. So that, and that was escalating in the background, too. So you can imagine kind of the tensions going on down in that area back then as well. So the cowboys just weren't trouble for the Arabs. They were about to cause an international incident. Yeah. Wow. They're kind of trouble for everybody. Yeah. But that's, it, you know, at the same time, that's just the way it was. They thought, oh, wow, we're in the frontier. We can do what we want. You know, uh, another big thing, and it shows it a little bit in the Tombstone movie, Johnny Behan kind of looked the other way when it came to the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. He wasn't that concerned about what they were doing. Oh, they're just going to Mexico. You know, it's not my territory. Why should I be concerned? The crime's being committed somewhere else. It's not my problem. So he looked the other way. But, you know, at the same time, you know, like, uh, yeah, not probably a good thing to do. Because, you know, that's a lot of times that violence spilled into your town. So, you know, you're kind of enabling them, you know. So, yeah, it, it you you can go on and on. Like I said, my friend's book, his, his book is mass, like 500 pages. And every little detail he could find on Wyatt Earp is in that book. Um, and a lot of that people are not happy with, you know, like he was a pimp at one time. Yeah. Um, his first wife, Maddie was a prostitute. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and he did, and he, even after tombstone, uh, doc and Wyatt actually stayed for an extended period in Albuquerque and they had a falling out. And then even after Wyatt's death, his wife, uh, Josephine did everything she could to try to preserve his image that, you know, he's the, law-abiding sheriff that helped bring justice to the territory, even when it came to covering up bits of information about him, like like the first wife being a prostitute or what he did before, you know, going to Tombstone and all that. So, Yeah, because he didn't – It was he's a very gray character. I mean, I guess you could call him an anti-hero in a way, but he's, you know, not this knight in shining armor you might think of him as being. Yeah, well, he's human. Yeah. And, you know, we all, we have good and, and bad parts. But you know what's weird? If you really get down and you look at the Old West sheriffs, almost all of them are like that. At one point, they were lawless. And maybe it's that knowledge from being in that life is what made them a, a better sheriff. You know, like uh, for a great example is Pat Garrett, the guy that killed Billy the Kid. Mm-hmm. Before he became a sheriff, he was stealing cattle and horses and, you know, involved in illegal stuff. Oh, no. I was just saying, you know, that's, and that probably, that's why he was able to catch Billy. He knew him so well because he knew his roots because he used to ride with him. So, you know, made him a better sheriff from having that knowledge. So I'm sure the same probably applied to Wyatt. Was was it Pat Garrett or Bat Masterson that also came into Tombstone? Uh, so Bat Masterson came through Tombstone, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it was, it wasn't, you know, he wasn't a part of the posse or anything in the Vedetta ride or anything like that. Um, in fact, I know uh, here in New Mexico, up by Cimarron, we have the St. James Hotel. And, uh, you know, 
they know for a fact that Wyatt and his family stayed there on their way to Tombstone, and Bat Masterson was actually staying there at the same time. And there was another photograph I've seen that has Wyatt. It has, like, all the famous guys, the old West Wyatt's in there, Bat Masterson, a couple others, um, all in one photograph. So I, I'm trying to remember where that was taken. I'm not sure if it was in New Mexico or Arizona, but it's another famous, you know, photograph. A lot of these guys knew each other if you developed a reputation. And that's kind of one of the things, like you were talking about with Doc Holliday. Once, you know, he went south with, you know, well, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well enjoy myself on the way out. Yeah. Um, he built a reputation that preceded him going into Tombstone. So, in fact, there's a lot of people say that uh, the gunfight at the OK Corral would not have happened if Doc Holliday had not been with the Earps. Because the first thing that happens after Virgil yells, you know, you know throw up your hands, I want your gun. It's just two clicks, and those two clicks came from Doc's shotgun. He cocked his gun. And the cowboy's like, we're going to get shot down. So they had no, you know, we got to defend ourselves. Yeah, and they tried so to do, let Doc go with him. You think it's maybe when they try to talk Doc, as a legend says, out of going with him, and he says, that's a hell of a thing for you to say to me. Maybe yeah. they knew he was going to be more of a hindrance than help in that fight. Exactly. And a lot, a lot of historians believe that. Also, he had a fight with Ike before. Uh, the OK Corral. Even in the movie, it shows that where White has to come in and you know pull Doc away, you know, or it might be Virgil in the movie. But yeah, I mean, so it's if his presence would not have been there. It might have ended differently. There might not have been a gunfight. But you know, if you're standing there against some guy that, with his reputation, and you know he's cocking his gun, I mean, it's it's on at that point. So yeah, and you know it's people. The neat thing about the OK Corral, you know, you have to slow it down a movie, show different shots of it. 30 seconds. Yeah. It lives and they're on right on American top of legend. each other. Yeah. yeah. How, how far um, is the, How big is that area? So You said they were right on top of each other. How far away were they in, from each other? So one of the things about the OK Corral is to understand that the gunfight didn't actually happen at the OK Corral. Okay. It happened at the vacant lot behind the OK Corral. So, and that's a misdemeanor, but it's like, you know, it doesn't make a cool name. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do have the gun site marked out. They have mannequins or little statues of each person that was there. They're maybe 15 feet away from each other. I mean, it's, oh wow. you could probably, you know, a couple of steps forward, you could punch the guy. You know, they're that close. And uh, they have it all, you know, it's a really nice display that the city has hooked up. Um, there's nice informative little plaques that tell you the sequence, who shot who and when and all that. Um, but I think that's the thing that strikes people is how close they were to each other when, you know, when it all went down. They, if they weren't across the corral, you know, so to speak, they're right there on top of each other. Um, another interesting thing is that it actually spilled onto Fremont Street. So if you're on that street coming in, they have a big marker and you can see that and it talks about it. And you're like, oh, i got to pay money to see, you know, where the fight happened. Well, actually, you're kind of standing where a lot of it went down, you know. When Billy Clinton was shot, he, or Billy Claiborne was shot, he went out into the street, and that's where he fell, you know. And then another thing that is uh, obscured a lot is some of that aftermath that happened. Um, we see in the movie where the Earps, you know, they threaten to, Johnny B.M. threatens to arrest them. But there's this whole other element with, uh, Billy being shot and, you know, he lived for 
probably 15 minutes after being shot, you know, cause he's screaming, Oh, they murdered me, you know? And of course he was gut shot, which is probably one of the most painful ways, you know, to be shot. Um, and he suffered, you know, for 15 minutes. And so they dragged him off, um, past Fremont back off to, a, a house and that's where he passed away. So kind of crazy. There's so many different angles there, but yeah, definitely something. If you're in there, you, you should, you got to visit the LK Corral. Check it out. Yeah. Or the shootout at the vacant lot. As it should be now. Yep. <laughs> it's not yeah, as they catchy. Do the reenactment pretty cool. Right. All right well, and they, they do the reenactment reenactions there. And, uh, they are pretty accurate when they do tell you that it actually didn't happen in the OK Corral. But, um, even once you go in, they have, you know, like little movies you can see, they have displays. It's like a little museum in areas. And then they have the area back behind where they actually do the gunfight. But, um, yeah, definitely, definitely worth checking out if you're ever down there. So Albuquerque was the focus yeah. of your first two books. And do you live in Albuquerque? Yeah, that's where I, I live now. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, you know, when there's not a lot of history and not, I mean, there's a lot of history, but I feel like a lot of people don't know the history of Albuquerque and some of the right. uh, more famous things that happened there. Can you give us a few of those things and, you know, places you should check out if you're ever in Albuquerque? Uh, well, Albuquerque was actually founded in 1706, but there wow. were people living there long before that. Um, so it has a very rich history. Um, in many ways, it mirrors Tombstone. But the difference in Albuquerque, we had our own version of the OK uh, Corral, but the bad guys won, which is probably how we lost the movie rights. <laughs> wow. <laughs> can't have a movie with bad guys winning. <laughs> you can today. <laughs> today you can. Yeah, you know, it, it was lawless for a while. Um, and then, uh, when the railroad came, it actually split the town in half. So we have new town, which sprung up around the railroad and then old town, the original settlement. And so, um, today I, I started actually the ghost tour there about ooh, how long ago was that? 21 years ago, I think. Um, and it takes you around the, uh, old town area and talks about all the different ghost stories. And I, I did a whole book featuring a lot of those stories. At least as many as I was able to include, you know, with the amount of space I had, but um, tons and tons of ghost stories. That company is still running. It's called Tours of Old Town. If you're ever in, you definitely got to check that place out. Um, another, a uh, couple other interesting things with the history is because of the climate, we have a lot of sanatoriums um, for tuberculosis. And so lots of, uh, you know, deaths involving that. Um, a lot of those buildings, some of the older buildings are still standing, but they're still being used. For example, near the highway, I-25, you have this big, you know, I associate the eye doctor, you know, place. And that was originally uh, one of the old hospitals, also used as a TV sanitarium. And the bottom driveway uh, used to be where they would take the bodies out and, you know, take them off when the patients died. Another place uh, next to the highway is called uh, Hotel Park Central, and that was originally also a TV sanitarium, a hospital, and an insane asylum for a short time. And if you look off to the side of it, you can see the smokestack, and they had their own crematorium. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's still there. You can still see it if you know what you're looking at, you know. But um, it, it's uh, I've always kind of liked it. And one of the cool things about Albuquerque as well is, we have a ton of microbreweries. So if you're into beer, you know, the beer scene and stuff like that, 
Yep. And it's, you know, definitely, you know, uh, get into that kind of thing. I think the ghost were now does kind of a pub crawl kind of thing. And they're going to the different haunted places that have bars in them. So you get to have a drink and, uh, you know, hear ghost stories. Are you so nothing else you can say, hey, I, I saw a spirit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you still do the ghost tours in town? Um, on I do special events with them. Um, this month, as a matter of fact, we're doing, uh, there's the Albuquerque Little Theater, and it was built in 1934, and they have ghost stories. And it's never been investigated before, so we're doing a big thing for the public where you can come in and be a ghost hunter. We'll give you the equipment, and you get locked in for two hours and get to go ghost hunting. So, and that's also on their website. I think it's abqtours.fun. If anyone is in the area and wants to check that out. It happens on Halloween. Well, thanks again, Cody. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you, the listeners, for joining us. Remember, you can now find us on iTunes and Google Play. Be sure to subscribe to our channels for upcoming episodes. Remember, you can find Haunted Tombstone and our other titles by visiting ArcadiaPublishing.com or by visiting your local bookstore.